From KCUR Studios, I'm Suzanne Hogan. And I'm Cody Newell. And this is Question Quest. We're setting out to find landmarks. Oddities. Legends. All the curious things in the Midwest that make you wonder, what's up with that? We'll put them in two decks of cards, shuffle them up, and take turns each week sending each other on a quest to find out the answer. So it's the first episode. How are we going to decide who goes first? Well, I mean, I think it's only fair that we do rock, paper, scissors. Okay. All right. Do you do one, two, three, shoot or one, two, shoot? We can do a one, two, three shoot if okay. you want to do that. Yeah, yeah. I think that would work. Okay. All right. Loser goes first. One, two, three. Ah. Uh. Uh, I got paper. I got rock. All right. So. Pick a card. All right. I'm going to choose this one. Okay. Wow. So in downtown Kansas City, Missouri, there is a passageway that leads into one of the city's only underground tunnels, but people rarely get inside now. Why is that? And there's a picture of this kind of dark tunnel with lights lining it. It looks like it's probably made of brick. It looks fairly old and dank. So I guess we'll figure out what this is. All right. First, we've got a little business to take care of, don't we, Suzanne? Yes. Do you know who your state legislators are? What are the major issues going on in your state? Well, we're not going to try to answer those questions right here, but if you head over to a different KCUR Studios podcast, that's State House Blend, hosts Sam Zeff and Brian Ellison take you inside the different state houses of Missouri and Kansas to talk with politicians over coffee and donuts. That's State House Blend. Find it on iTunes and Google Play now. Now back to the quest. Okay, so my first step on the quest was to contact the developer that owns the land that the tunnel sits on. Security took my info and said they'd get back to me in a few days. So in the meantime, I got in touch with filmmaker Jamie Burkhart. I got wind of a special project that he did 10 years ago inside the tunnel, and I wanted to know more. What were you doing 10 years ago, Suzanne? What year is it? 2016? 10 years ago, 2006? Would have been the year that I graduated from college in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and I was probably deciding if I was going to, where I was going to live or move to. <laughs> and you came back here. Yeah, I decided to move back to Kansas City for a while to save some money and try to figure out my next step, actually. So I got a job working in a bike shop and then eventually applied to work at KCUR and then got this job. <laughs> and here we are today. And I stayed, <laughs> yeah. Well, back 10 years ago, I would have been 14, so I would have been just about to start high school. Oh, man. I know, right? And I would have been entering into my um, black phase where I wore uh, skinny black jeans every single day and wore a Ramones shirt for like almost like six months straight, maybe more than that. I don't know. The same shirt? 
Uh, well, I mean, like I had like a rotation, but that was like the mainstay. Like the Ramon shirt was like the big one. Okay, so it wasn't just like an unwashed Ramon shirt for six months. I know I wasn't that grody. I mean, I'm, I'm like I was a nasty boy, but not that bad. Right on. <laughs> um. Anyway, Jamie's project in 2006 was part of this growing fascination that he had with how a film screening could be more of an experience for the viewer. You know, so much we focus on creating the experience in front of the camera. Um, but the experience that happens before the eyes of the audience, you know, sitting, watching, is really what it's all working towards. And if the bulb burns out in the projector, then that's as much a part of the film experience as the actor's performance in front of the camera. Jamie wanted this new project to give people more than just a few hours of entertainment. He wanted to send people on a scavenger hunt of sorts through downtown Kansas City. People were given an invitation. These were distributed throughout the city at different places where musical show events and different places where you could find a flyer. So it was kind of publicly announced in the form of this flyer. And the flyer was a clue. There was a symbol on the flyer that people had to decipher. It was actually an arrow that took you around tall brick buildings and alleyways. And believe it or not, back in 2006, downtown Kansas City was a lot different than it is now. The city had a respectable skyline, plenty of tall buildings, but... On the street level, things were quiet. People just didn't hang out there like they do now. That is definitely true. I remember when I first moved back thinking, oh no, what have I done? Yeah, and I, like one of the craziest things that I've heard about is like back then, like coffee shops didn't even open up on the weekends. Like it wasn't even worth their time to do that. That's just insane. Like, oh yeah. Totally different, totally sleepy, just not how it is now. I think that quiet atmosphere was pretty perfect for Jamie's screening and what he wanted to achieve with it. So people would arrive and they would quietly walk through the city following these arrows and you would cross the street and you would go around and you would see, uh, oh, here's the next mark, I'm on the right trail. In a lot of ways, the area of town that Jamie sent people through hasn't really changed much since the late 1800s and early 1900s. You can still see faded advertisements painted on the sides of buildings selling wholesale ladies' wear, lingerie, and men's furnishings from back when stores and factories used to fill the area. As people followed the arrows to get to the screening, they came to a parking garage and went through a maintenance door that led down into the belly of the city. And just imagine the hairs on the backs of your neck rising and how magic the night becomes. And we're descending into the earth, underneath buildings, underneath downtown, into a past that's forgotten. And we are in a tunnel that's all made of fine brickwork, each brick laid by hand to create a beautiful arch. And there's other people there. This is the experience that people had of discovering the 8th Street Tunnel. Inside of the long, dark tunnel, Jamie set up a projector that played three films, a fellow artist's project about the need for more artistic and cultural spaces, the classic Who Framed Roger Rabbit, one of my favorite films, and an old World War II-era training video for streetcar operators. In 1941, the last year of peace, the tempo of life in Kansas City was steady, established, regular. The people of Kansas City that film was pretty perfect to show in the 8th Street Tunnel. It showed hundreds, thousands of people getting on and off streetcars that wound around Kansas City. About half of all the people who traveled within Kansas City rode on the buses and streetcars operated by Kansas City Public Service Company. 
Jamie spent a lot of time in the public library studying the city's old streetcar system and realized pretty early on how important the tunnel was during its lifespan. Thousands, perhaps millions of passengers would have gone through as they went to work, shop, or just ride around town. In fact, in its peak, Kansas City streetcar lines were the third largest in America, behind Chicago and San Francisco. I wouldn't think it would be even nearly as close as big as Chicago or San Francisco. Right? We had like hundreds of miles of rail. That was kind of the way people got around town. So the 8th Street Tunnel was used for what, streetcars then? Well, it was, but it goes back a little bit further than that. In the late 1800s, Kansas City was starting to become a big center for industry in the Midwest. Cattle and goods would come in on trains through our industrial quarter called the West Bottoms, and workers living 200 feet up the bluff that downtown sits on today would have to travel up and down through winding roads to get down it. But a young engineer named Robert Gillum came from New York with a better idea. He wanted to build a cable car ramp that would lead from the bottoms up to the bluff's edge. At the time, the only American cities that even had cable cars were San Francisco and New York. Gillum's idea was truly visionary, but janky. The problem with this is that what happens if the cable breaks? And apparently the cable would break periodically. So you're halfway up and the cable that's connecting the two cars breaks and you go into a free fall down the incline. What? They would break loose. <laughs> <laughs> the solution was that in each cable car, they put a giant fishing hook basically attached to a rope and they had a coil spinning down the middle of the ramp and so when the cable cars would break loose the driver at each car would grab the hook and throw it and it would catch on to the spiral in the middle. Can you imagine being on a cable car and you're going up this huge incline and suddenly the cable snaps and you start to go backwards and the only thing that's keeping you from getting probably really hurt is how well some dude can throw a hook. I mean, I can't imagine that, and I don't really want to. <laughs> it sounds pretty crazy. But Gillum wasn't satisfied with that original design and wasn't satisfied with cable snapping. So in 1887, he got an even crazier idea. Drill a hole through the bluff so a new line could be truly continuous from downtown Kansas City, Missouri through to Kansas. The tunnel was finished a year later, but soon after, Gillum passed away of pneumonia at just 45 years old. And it was still too steep, so work started on an entirely new tunnel. But they didn't get rid of the first one or try to change it. No, they just built the new one through the old one. So it's like a tunnel inside a tunnel? Yeah, so there's like the big tunnel, and then inside of that is the smaller tunnel. Hmm, interesting. Okay. Yeah, Kansas City just isn't like San Francisco or Chicago. We never really developed any sort of need or desire, it seems, for any sort of subway system. After talking with Jamie, I started to wonder what it was actually like to ride through the tunnel back in the day. And as it turns out, there are still people around who actually did. My name is Ray Elder. I'm a retired captain from the Kansas City, Missouri Fire Department. I am presently the historian for the Kansas City Fire Historical Society. Ray brought me down into his basement in the burbs where huge ledgers, scrolls, and file cabinets line the walls. It's mainly fire records from the Kansas City Fire Department, but he pulls out a large binder full of info on the tunnel. This is it under construction right here. This is an 1887 photograph. 
But even better than records, Ray was one of those passengers who actually went through the tunnel when it was still open. He has fond memories of riding with his aunt as a little boy as she went to run errands and visit her friend in Kansas. One time, the lights went out. <laughs> boy, that tunnel was dark. And you don't see any shadows. <laughs> None whatsoever. And it was a treat for me. There's a lot of people still ask me about the tunnel. For years, Ray didn't set foot in the tunnel. In fact, nobody did. It was closed off in the 1950s when cars and buses started to push streetcar companies out of business. And by then, most people wanted cars of their own anyways. But in 2004, just a few years before Jamie's film screening, Ray's son-in-law invited him to a private tour run by the bank that now sits on top of the tunnel. I enjoyed it my whole day. We was only going to stay, I think, 30 or 40 minutes at the most. We stayed two and a half hours <laughs> and enjoyed it very much. And I thought, I'd like to share this with people. At the time, Ray was on the board of a local historical society called the Native Sons and Daughters, so he managed to arrange tours through them. He reckons that he took more than 200 people through it. On top of having tons of records and pictures from inside the tunnel, he also has a few mementos stashed in his garage. These grew on the floor. Okay. And that's water dripping. And these, see the rocks and the gravel they hook together? Yeah, yeah. That's just old limestone rock. Well. But that's two of them now. I cannot remember which is titan, which is mite, but... If it's on the ground, is it a mite? And if it's on the ceiling, it's a tight? It could be. <laughs> <laughs> but I've got them out here. He actually has stalactites and stalagmites from the tunnel in his garage. Yeah, just chilling in his garage. Yeah, that's cool. He's also got all sorts of strange facts about the tunnel, things that you might not expect. Mushrooms. Mushrooms? Read it. So this is an excerpt from an article written by Calvin Mannion of the Kansas City Star on April 25th, 1968. The original tunnel became a challenge to Doug Meng, an editorial writer who noted the temperature in the tunnel varied little, and there was plenty of moisture from the water seepage. He'd gotten some literature on the new art of artificial mushroom culture, and it wasn't long before he had a profitable sideline going. <laughs> it is kind of crazy that that guy could just go down there and grow mushrooms. I mean, it was it just open to the public like that? It wasn't really open, but it was pretty common for people to just go in and find their way into it. Gotcha. Um, like I said earlier, the tunnel was closed in the 50s, but it was reopened in the 90s when a real estate developer started building on the land above. It wasn't long before people figured out that it was pretty easy to just break in. That attracted quite a few urban explorers like Jacqueline Danger, who I met just a few blocks away from the tunnel. For the record, that isn't her real name. Urban exploring isn't, strictly speaking, legal most of the time. She says that Kansas City is full of semi-abandoned places that are just begging to be explored. Buildings, rooftops, uh, drainage systems, tunnels, mines, caves, uh, ruins. Okay. We're not like New York where it's like Homeland Security's all up your ass. <laughs> And make no bones about it here, there's usually more at stake than just a fine or some jail time if you get caught. Be bad air underground, suffocate, fall through a floor, have a fire escape break and fall to your death, get electrocuted, stabbed by a bum, robbed by a scrapper. You know, it's not for like the faint of heart, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe people who are like, uh, do, do rational things, maybe. <laughs> 
For anybody who was down to take a risk in the mid-2000s, Jacqueline says the 8th Street Tunnel was a prime spot. It's the only one of its kind in Kansas City. There's, there's no others? No, not like 8th Street Tunnel. Kansas City doesn't have too many tunnel systems or drainage systems, so there's not too much in the underground culture. And that's what makes the 8th Street Tunnel so fascinating and special for so many people. It encapsulates a huge chunk of Kansas City's history, but it's just kind of been laying dormant for the past 60 years or so. Jacqueline says a lot of places usually get spoiled by Instagrammers who post public photos of illegal exploration, but with the 8th Street Tunnel, it was just pure exposure from so many people and media outlets coming in. And nowadays, the real estate company that owns it keeps it locked down tight. I talked with folks from local historical societies and groups that have tried to get tours going, and the answers I got were all the same. We talked to developers, they said they'd ask, and they never got a call back. Even Ray hasn't been in for about a year or so. I wish we could save it and make it available for everybody, but unfortunately it's on private property, and I understand it, it would, there's nothing, well, there's too much of a liability. I can understand that too. Even I couldn't get in. After talking with some folks from the company, it was made pretty clear that they weren't interested in taking me through at this time. Fortunately, they let my coworker Laura Spencer go through a few months ago. She went with a small group of maintenance and operations folks. Looks like a nondescript office building, you know, just kind of small and, you know, a lot of glass on the exterior. And then you go inside, or we went inside and took the elevator downstairs to the parking garage. From there, representatives took Laura through a door that looked like it might lead to a maintenance area, the same doors that Jamie would have used for the film screening. So you walked into this first room and there was, you know, air ducts and it was kind of loud, and then they opened the door into the tunnel. You know, not much has changed for that part of the tunnel except for some uh, wooden walkways had been added just for safety, and it was just kind of wet. Laura said it's clear that the place has seen better days. I mean, you leave any underground structure alone for nearly 50 years, and it's bound to look a little rough. Now, lots of the brickwork and wooden beams are covered in mold because of water seepage. We walked along the first part of the tunnel, and then there was the second part of the tunnel that was shorter because um, I, I believe I-670 had been built on top of it. So, I mean, I'm five foot two and I had to you know, crouch down a little bit just to kind of walk through. And now tours are limited to every few months or so. And like I said earlier, you're pretty lucky if you can get in. And a lot of that has to do with the condition of the tunnel. Because it is this wet, um, enclosed area, I mean, it, it could potentially fall in at some point. And so I think that it's, that's why it's not open to the public. That's why it's, you know, available only, you know, for, for occasional tours. Yeah, that's interesting to me also. That's something I've been thinking about is like, if it's, if it has a danger of falling in, like, what do they do? You know, what, what, like, is there any step to be taken? I, I don't know. And I don't know if they even really talk about that. But Yeah, you know, they did not say anything about that because I had this <laughs> idea that, you know, it'd be great if it was a bike trail or something like that, but it's not in that kind of condition. Sure, maybe if it had been taken care of continuously, it, it might have still been in some condition to be used, but at this point, it's kind of too far gone. Right. So that's where it sits. The 8th Street Tunnel is still here. It's still intact, but there's little hope of anything beyond the occasional tour. 
And then what happens? It just continues to mold away. Yeah, I mean, the property owners were just kind of saddled with this, and I don't think they have, like, a whole lot of interest in pouring a lot of time or effort into it. And, uh, yeah, the building above it is a bank, so I think they're also a little bit weirded out by people potentially just being underground, you know, underneath their building. <laughs> but at the very least, you know, the tunnel's history is pretty well preserved. I mean, Ray and Jamie in particular have done a really good job of kind of evangelizing it. Um, and just a few miles away, we've got the new streetcar, so... In kind of a weird way, its legacy still lives on, even if most people probably won't actually get to see the tunnel. So episode one is in the bag? Oh yeah! <laughs> so we want to end each episode by quizzing each other with a little bit of trivia. Suzanne, are you ready? for some streetcar trivia. Uh, yes. All right, so that old World War II streetcar video uh, that I played earlier, mm-hmm. which of the following is the title of that film? A, from the halls of Montezuma to the streets of old KC. B, closer to victory, one streetcar at a time. C, 10 seconds to go. Or D, clang, clang, clang goes the trolley. Uh, um, okay. B? No, it is not B. It My is... second one was A. Really? Yeah. It was C, 10 <sighs> seconds to go, which is like the lamest name. I had, I had way too much fun coming up with these. <laughs> Next time. All right, well, that's it for our first episode. Woo, thanks for listening to Question Quest. If you have ideas for places that you think we should check out, send us an email at questionquest at kcur.org. You can also follow us on Twitter. Cody is at Cody Newell. And our show is at question underscore quest underscore. Get in touch with us, and we'll put your ideas into our decks. Music this week is by me, Waylon Thornton, Lobo Loco, and Charles Hunter. Our producers are Sylvia Maria Gross and Brianna O'Higgins. I'm Suzanne Hogan, and you're Cody Newell. Yup. Join us next week. <laughs>